Mercedes-Benz will shortly snatch the performance of your new car off the street in broad daylight. Shortly thereafter, it'll be there terrified out of its brain, gaffer-taped to a beer-stained couch in the basement. And if you don't want it mailed back to you in pieces over the next few weeks, you'd best amass 1,200 bucks American in used non-sequential 20s and await further instructions. And don't get any bright ideas about calling the FB friggin' I. That's right, dude. This is a hostage negotiation. I'm Johnny Logan from AutoExpert.com.au and I get new cars Australia-only website. God. Now, at the risk of going all Frankenstein's friggin' monster on this one, it lives. <laughs> Interestingly, that's how Satan rocks it. In hell, the matte black S-Class with the inverted three-prong. That's how you can tell at a distance that the big fella is on his way. And that's never good, dude. Trust me, we've all been there. Now, if you are that quintessential, bolted-on, insufferable Mercedes-Benz twat, then, dude, the rich pantomime the rest of us enjoy, which you have come to understand as... Mercedes-Benz ownership is about to get even more ankle-grabbing entertaining. I'm seeing Cirque du Soleil meets Moon River. Yes. But first, this video is sponsored by Olight. Olight torches make ideal Christmas presents. I've been carrying this one every day for more than a year now. It's been great, reliable, tough, versatile, and of course, Brilliant. Olight's Black Friday sale is in full swing right now and concludes on the 29th. I've selected five of my favourite Olights today for your car, home, EDC and fat cave. Links in the description plus a discount code AEJC for 12% off outside the sale. Marauder Mini first. It's dimmable but retina scorching if you max it out at 7,000 lumens. This torch turns night into day, working under the house or around a campsite, and it turns into a proper searchlight with a range of 600 metres at the flick of a switch. There's a super smart on-off switch which needs 90 degrees of rotation before you can turn the torch on, which prevents accidental activation in a bag. Proprietary USB 2 magnetic coupling to recharge, which is a great system because there are no ports to clog up with mud and other environmental debris. Warrior Mini 2 is my favourite Olight and also my preferred EDC. It's drop tested, waterproof and super bright. There's a side switch for more delicate work and a tactical tail switch if you ever need to whip it out really fast under pressure. The Warrior 3S is essentially the bigger brother, same overall functionality, only brighter and tougher, but still 
pocket-sized. The full tactical option is the Warrior X3, which is a bit too big for a pocket, but tough and super bright. It's great for security work or search and rescue. A decent size for a duty belt, but it will not weigh you down. Three glass-breaking zirconium beads on the bezel if you ever need to breach a tempered glass window and rescue someone. I certainly hope you don't ever need to do that, but it's kind of nice to have if you do. They all use the same brilliant magnetic recharging system as the Marauder Mini. And finally, the Swivel. This is a sensational work light that fits in a pocket. It's also a torch. The base is magnetic as well as a snap hook if you ever need to hang it in place under the bonnet. It'll stick to the car for changing a wheel at midnight and you will have both hands free. You can keep it charged easily in the car via USB. I've got a swivel in the fat cave and a swivel in the car and a Warrior Mini in my pocket right now. That's kind of how I roll, and I am typically very hard to please. So that's got to tell you something. Links in the description. Sale runs until midnight on the 29th, plus that code AEJC for 12% off after that. Big thanks to Olight for being a solid supporter of this channel throughout 2022, helping make reports like this possible. Senior executive Krusty the Crown nobodies at allthedubsshop.com mbusa.com say quote coming soon accelerate more powerfully increase the torque and maximum output of your mercedes eq i want them to release the mercedes far q Boost the performance of your Mercedes EQ, the feeling of driving your Mercedes EQ is a new experience every day, particularly its powerful immediate acceleration. Acceleration increase, that's a proper noun now apparently, acceleration increase, should be called Stockholm Tronic Pro Plus Max, bend over edition. Acceleration increase boosts this performance even further. Electronically increasing the motor's output also increases the torque significantly. <laughs> Who doesn't want that? Giving you a faster 0 to 60 miles per hour time. Acceleration power you can feel. Yeah. Your advantage is at a glance. Fine-tuning of the electric motors increases the maximum power output, brackets, kilowatts. I don't think Americans speak kilowatts, do they? It's all just Greek to them, isn't it? Of your Mercedes EQ by 20 to 24 percent. Depending on the original output from factory, the torque is also increased. Well, no shit, Sherlock. How else are you going to boost the power? Like, come on. Enabling your vehicle to accelerate noticeably faster and more powerfully. This shortens the time it takes to accelerate from 0 to 60 miles per hour. Just in case you're an imbecile and you didn't get it the first time, I suppose. There's no IQ test for Ben's ownership. By around 0 0.8 to 0 0.9 seconds. <laughs> 
This additional output is available in all Dynamic Select Drive programs. <laughs> yeah! EQE goes from 6 seconds with the, you know, cheapy one to 5.1 with this subscription upgrade. 0.9 of a second. The EQE Pus Wagon, I mean SUV, goes from 6.2 seconds to 5.2. You get a, a full second up there. <laughs> goes from 215 to 260 kilowatts, incidentally. And the EQS, the even harder, more engorged EQS, goes from 5.3 to 4.5. The Pus Wagon version of EQS goes from 5.8 to 4.9. That goes from 265 kilowatts to 330. <laughs> Just 1,200 bucks a year, dude. Come on. Over five years, that's only a $6,000 touch-up. That's what, a couple of services. They <laughs> really are getting serviced. I'm not sure there's any lube with this one, though. Same old oil, in other words. EQE owners are getting 45 kilowatts extra for 1,200 bucks a year. That's 21% more power. EQS owners are getting 65 extra kilowatts for 1200 bucks. That's 25% more power. Very surprised by this. I'm, I'm surprised there's not a larger barbed wire enema for the EQS owner. I really am. Anywho, so here's the deal, dude. You're going to put whatever payment method on the line and pay 1200 bucks, American, to unlock the paywalled, high-performance version of your car. And all of the hardware is in that car. It's built into that car. You paid for it when you friggin' bought it. All they're doing is giving a little bit of extra code down the line that says, just go a bit harder. We designed you to do that anyway. Now, obviously BMW emerged with a fair bit of egg all over its face when it tried to charge people for heated seats in this way like the seat heating elements in the fucking car and they want you to pay i don't know whatever it was 25 bucks a month or something to unlock the seat heating which probably not that attractive in florida probably fairly attractive in alaska who knows maybe it's better value there now Let's think about subscription services because this whole microtransaction phenomenon is everywhere and we all pay for some kinds of subscription services. Like we've got Netflix and broadband and you've got your mobile phone for calls and SMSs and data and all of that stuff, right? Now, in all of these cases, insofar as I can see, you're paying to access an external network like you've got the 4 and 5g mobile network and it's there it's like through you now all that it's just there and you need a device which you pay for and then you need access which you pay for makes sense right the network needs to be maintained by a business that puts towers up and transmits it everywhere and gives you more or less continuous coverage in civilized places so it doesn't seem unfair to pay for that and even in the case of netflix which is approximately as shit as blockbuster video was in the 80s and 90s netflix pays to put all sort of movies that you would only watch if you were stoned out of your head after the first four weeks of um, network access 
but they still have to maintain the network and provide the inventory and update it, do the promos, whatever, right? There's still a job to do for them. It's not like you buy Netflix in a box and then you just pay to access it over and over and over, which is essentially what Mercedes-Benz is doing. Like, I pay for heaps of different subscriptions, right? Like, I pay 360 US dollars a year for a video library named Storyblocks to produce quality footage that adds real value to my videos, such as this. of renowned social philosopher and satirical shock rock necrophile Alice Cooper. She raises up the flag on the glory pole. She lifts my spirit and my soul. Hail Mary, full of grace. A women, brother. Now, subscriptions seem worth it, in other words, if they give you added value, added production value, added access to whatever services that are external that you need to access. This ain't that. This is a hostage ransom, okay? You paid for that car. You own the hardware. The hardware is clearly designed to deliver that performance, and yet they are holding it to ransom unless you pay them 1200 bucks a month. If you own that car for five years, brother, that's an extra six grand. Seems unfair. No word yet on Stockholm Tronic Pro Plus Max for Australia, but Mercedes-Benz is getting pretty desperate here. And I note that customers in Australia and customers in America would both be dumb enough in the main to cop this sort of thing on the chin. And they're going to have to do something to pump up the big bucks soon because these premium car manufacturers have a real problem and they haven't figured out how to solve it yet clearly as this imperfect experiment proves. Think back to the 80s and 90s, dude. Like in the 80s, I was an amateur car enthusiast yet to become a journalist, yet to graduate as an engineer. I was just a car nut. And I used to know this kid from the gym whose parents were really rich. Like, Dad was a celebrity doctor. And he would drive the, the Dad's 560 SEC Mercedes at the time, which might as well have been the friggin' space shuttle, right? And when you think about the Commodores and Kingswoods and Falcons that the rest of us middle-class schmoes were in. Mum and Dad had them. We had even older, shittier versions of the same thing. And when you compare it to the 560 SEC, it had this amazing array of shit that really was properly luxurious and properly performance-oriented as well. And it added up to an immense gulf across the board between our cars, the ones that we had access to, and the 560 SEC. And over the next four decades, 
that margin has been eroded substantially because technology is just off the shelf now. You want adaptive cruise control. If you're a car maker, you just buy 500,000 systems from Johnson Controls or something or Bosch and they're pre-calibrated. You just screw them in on the production line. Just as available to Hyundai, Kia, Toyota, Mitsubishi as Audi, Mercedes-Benz, and BMW, right? It's the same technology. Heated seats, same thing. Climate, air control. All of this technology is just off the shelf now. And that means that the gap in between prestige car and mainstream car has really shrunk. And in some cases, on objective criteria, the mainstream car is more luxurious than the prestige car at the same price point, right? Like if you're an alien and you've come here from Alpha Centauri for the probing, which is like world class, and you decide to have a look at the automotive industry and you get, for example, a Santa Fe Highlander and you put it next to a Q7 or a Q5 and you get the, the fully loaded Santa Fe and you get the Q7 or the Q5 that is as close to the price of this one, you put them side to side so they're as equivalent on price as possible, it's amazing all of the things that the luxury car doesn't have. And in fact, if you want to make Q7 roughly equivalent to a Santa Fe Highlander or a Sorento GT line or something, you've got to add so much optional shit to that car that it's three times the price by the time you make it roughly equivalent on spec. And this is what's happened in the prestige space. And it's still happening, and this gap is closing. And it's a real problem for prestige car makers, which is why they're trying these bullshit experiments, okay? So I did actually commit the venial sin of research here because I want to get the facts right and I want to establish a trend and use data to prosecute an argument, all right? So what I did was I looked at the year-to-date sales for this year, so the first 10 months, that would be to the end of October, which is the latest data available, and I compared that to the same period of 2017, so the first 10 months of 2017. And what I found there was that Mercedes-Benz sales have gone from 31,000 units from the first 10 months of 2017 to 23,000 for the same period just gone this year. Okay, that's a reduction of 8,000 units or 26%. And if you say to yourself that each one of those cars that they have not sold, that they did back then, if each one of those is worth $100,000 and you've got 8,000 of them, that's $800 million less turnover. And that starts making it pretty hard to justify the size of head office and the head count in head office and all manner of other expenditure, does it not? Now, this could be for external reasons, like boning their dealers. That worked out so well. Their dealers were so on board with being boned that they decided to sue Mercedes-Benz Australia for $650 million. That matter is before the court, and no determination's been handed down, obviously. They also invoked, as a consequence of this dealer boning thing, their shit price promise, which means that now you are guaranteed to pay the shittest possible price for any Mercedes Benz. There's no more discounts, just the shit price all around our fine nation. Yes. Could be that. So I had a look at Audi and BMW and also Volkswagen, and here's what happened there. In the same period, incidentally, 
Mercedes-Benz has come back 26%. The market's come back a little bit less than 10%. So they are well behind the curve, as the economists say. But Audi, Audi's gone properly poopy in trowel also. They've gone from 18,000 sales to 11,800. So well done there. Falling morons. 35% down in a market that's fallen less than 10. Well done. Volkswagen could be something to do with Volkswagen because Volkswagen owns Audi. And Volkswagen did come to light as a bunch of criminal conspiratorial mother lovers, didn't they? Did they not in about the same period? They've gone from 47,500 for the first 10 months of 2017 to 24,800 this year. <laughs> That's only 48% down, so perhaps word is getting around on this mother lovery for which they have become renowned. BMW is interesting to me, though, for a couple of reasons, because they've been stagnant. They were about 20,000 sales back then and about 20,000 this year. That's interesting because they have maintained their sales volume, but they haven't acquired any sales as a result of a fall in the number of Audis and Mercedes-Benz being sold. That's fascinating to me. So where are these sales evaporating to? I'd suggest they're evaporating into the mainstream domain because of this narrowing of the gap between what I'd describe as upmarket mainstream cars and sort of poverty pack premium German cars. So I'm wondering what other desperation moves the premium German manufacturers are going to try and pull out of their hat because as I see it, the, pre the concept of premium German car is increasingly just hype. When we see this with, for example, Volkswagen deciding not to design a new Amarok, right? Now, the difference between a Ranger and an Amarok is just cosmetic. So there is nothing intrinsic about being, for example, a Volkswagen that can't be satisfied by Ford. I find that flat out hilarious. And if you can't differentiate the product by being objectively better, okay, if you can't differentiate a premium German vehicle by being objectively better than an upmarket mainstream vehicle, then what else have you got? You've got the hype around the badge and you can spend a lot of money with your, you know, as sponsored by or as endorsed by Satan. You can spend a fair bit of money on that kind of thing right? You can also spend a fair bit of money on just overall wank to do with the brand. But when it comes to the actual metal, there's not very much you can say now because even from a design point of view, you know, direct injection is a known quantity. Battery technology is a known quantity. Gigapascal steel for the I call it ultra-high-strength steel used in the design of platforms. That's a done deal. Everyone knows that. Anyone can manufacture a platform out of aluminium or ultra-high-strength steel. You don't have to be Mercedes-Benz or Audi to do that, for example. So what I'm suggesting is that this move, this sort of hostage negotiation for the performance of these first electric shitboxes, that's the tip of an experimental iceberg and it's also an IQ test, dude, because if you fall for that, 
and you pay that money, you fail. 